This morning we are continuing an ongoing study in 40 days to a more generous life. And this morning we're going to be speaking on the third treasure principle of six that we are studying during this time. And that treasure principle this morning is this. Heaven, not earth, is my home. Heaven, not earth, is my home. Oswald Chambers wrote, Nowadays, people have gotten tired of the preaching about a future heaven. And they have gone to the other extreme and deal only with what is called the practical. Consequently, they rob themselves of the unfathomable joy of knowing that everything God has said will come to pass. C.S. Lewis. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. We are very shy nowadays of even mentioning heaven. We're afraid of the jeer about pie in the sky and of being told that we're trying to escape from the duty of making a happy world here and now into dreams of a happy world elsewhere. But either there is pie in the sky or there's not. If there is not, then Christianity is false, for this doctrine is woven into its whole fabric. If there is, then this truth, like any other, must be faced, whether it is useful at political meetings or not. And Peter Kreeft writes this, Hope is the forgotten virtue in our time. For hope means hope for heaven. And modernity's nose to the grindstone, this worldliness, does not lift its eyes to the open skies. Hope means that our heads do not bump up against the low ceiling of this world. Hope means that the exhilarating, wonderful, and terrifying winds of heaven blow in our ears. I hope has been trivialized today, just as I believe has. I believe often means that I'm of the opinion. And I hope often means merely I wish or I would like it if. Christian hope is certain in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection. God's promises will come true. There is no if and or but about it for God is truth itself. So this morning, I want to encourage you with a truth that we don't reflect on near enough. And that is this. Heaven, not earth, is my true home. And so I'd like to take this morning the opportunity to introduce you to your true home. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. We're going to be looking at Revelation 21 and 22. If you don't have a Bible with you, pull out the Bible located right in front of you and go to the very back, almost to the maps and the tables. The very last book 
in the very last two chapters of the book. Revelation chapter 21 and Revelation chapter 22. This morning, we're going to look at three realities about our true home. And they are found for us embedded in these scriptures here in Revelation 21 and 22. Have you found it? Have you come there? The first reality of our true home is this. It is the place of His presence. If you have a bulletin, you can use the tear-off to take notes this morning, to remind yourself, to encourage yourself. Brothers, encourage one another with these truths, with these words. It is the place of His presence. This is the first foundational reality that we must come to terms with when we think about heaven. Heaven is not an empty place. It is the fullest place that we can possibly imagine. And its fullness is in the fullness of His presence. We get glimpses here. We have moments where it feels like the veil is parted. But there, that sense that we get so intermittently, so tantalizingly, momentarily, will become a reality for all of eternity. For He is there and present in all of His fullness. For heaven is the very abode of God. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, John writing says, I heard a voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling, literally the tabernacle of God, is with men, and He will live with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them, and be their God. Now this picture of the tabernacle is very important in the Scriptures. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle traveled with the people of Israel and it became, it became the place where God was present in that locality with His people. And then in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God Himself came down in the form of man, in the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. And the tabernacle came here in flesh upon the earth. But a day is coming. As it tells us here in Revelation 21, 22 and 23, that there will not be, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. God Himself is the tabernacle. He is our home. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light and the Lamb is its lamp. 
Oh, people, be encouraged today. Your home is the place of His presence. But that's not all. It is also a place of perfection. A place of perfection. Oh, let your hearts be encouraged today. In this place of perfection, it is a place where there is perfect shalom. Perfect wholeness. Perfect harmony. Perfect peace. We don't have an English word that can fully translate the fullness of that word shalom. But it is the place where His fullness will bring the perfection of wholeness. Let your hearts be captured. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God, and He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then He said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. He makes everything new in His new, in His home. In His home, in our future home in this place of perfection. There will be no more death. There is no more pain. There are no more hospitals. There are no nursing homes. There are no mental illness wards. There is no more pain and suffering. There is no more physical handicaps. There is no mental illness. There is no blindness. There is no lameness. There is no deafness. There is nothing there but perfection. There is no more brokenness. Johnny Erickson Tata writing in Heaven Your Real Home says, I can still hardly believe it. I with shriveled bent fingers and atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body. Light, bright, and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope this gives someone spinal cord injured like me? No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, hearts, and minds. Only in the Gospel of Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. Not only is there no brokenness, there is no separation. Look at what it says. And there was no longer any sea. There is no separation, nothing to separate us from the love of God. 
nothing to separate us from our love for one another. There will be no hard or hurt feelings. No unforgiving or critical spirit. There's no divorce. No fire, no famine, no flood, no war, no sickness, no business trip. Nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing! Nothing. It's perfect. It's perfect. Perfect shalom. Perfect wholeness. Not only that, but there will be perfect understanding. Anybody here have any questions that you'd like to ask the Lord? Anybody have anything that you just don't understand? Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when what? Perfection comes. Say perfection. When perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see, but a poor reflection is in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. I don't know what happens to the questions. If I were to speculate, I would just say probably it just won't matter. <laughs> we just won't care. It's like, whoop, that went right out the head. But if there are, we will know. We will know. It's a place of perfect understanding. But not only that. Oh, people, brothers, sisters, May your heart be encouraged today with this truth, with this reality. Not only is it perfect shalom, not only is there perfect understanding, but there is also perfect glory. John, seeing, has this revelation and his eyes are opened and suddenly he sees. And look at what he sees. Listen. See what he sees this morning. As he looks at our home, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, we're going on in Revelation 21 now. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God. And its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and with twelve angels at the gates. And on the gates were written in the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. And there were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb." 
And the angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. And the city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. And he measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length. And as wide and high as it is long. And he measured its wall. And it was 144 cubits thick by man's measurement, which the angel was using. And the wall was made of jasper. And the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. And the foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, and the second sapphire, and the third chalcedony, and the fourth emerald, and the fifth sardonyx, and the sixth carnelian, and the seventh chrysolite, and the eighth beryl, and the ninth topaz, and the tenth chrysoprase, and the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, and each gate made of a single pearl. And the great street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Would you please listen for a moment and think about this. Think about this city. The walls are 200 feet thick, made of jasper, which is clear like diamond. And glitters with the brilliance and radiance of the Lamb. Think about those walls. Think about their beauty. Think about the security found in those 200 foot wide walls of jasper. Think for a moment about those foundation stones, each of a different, brilliant gemstone. Every facet, immeasurably beautiful, incomprehensibly perfect, reflecting again all of the facets of the glory of the Lord. Think about those streets and the city made of pure gold that is like glass in all of its perfection. Think about it. Every step you take on those streets reflects back the very glory of the living God. And everywhere you look is like a mirror of gold reflecting the beauty of the King. Oh, are you catching this? Think about those gates. Look at those gates for a minute. What does it say right there at the end? The twelve gates were what? Twelve pearls. And what does it say next? Each gate made of a single pearl. Now think of how a pearl is made. How is a pearl made? In an oyster? And what happens to that oyster? A piece of what? Something, a sand. Something gets in there 
and begins to irritate that oyster. And when he feels that irritation, he makes the essence of pearl. And as long as he feels that irritation, he continues to make more and more and more of that. Think of the intensity of suffering that must have been needed to make a pearl of the size that the gate for the 200 foot wide walls of the city, 12 of them. Imagine. Only... Only the suffering of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ would be of sufficient depth to create a pearl of that great price. The wonder Jesus is known as the pearl of great price. And every time You think about those gates and walking through those gates. Think about the suffering that he gave so that those gates might be opened for you. Oh, our home. Our home is a place of his presence. Our home, our home is a place of perfection. And the third reality this morning is this, that our home is a place that has been prepared for us. So let me ask you this morning, Has most of your life been a series of struggles? Have you been more sick than well, more defeated than successful, more tired than rested, more alone than accompanied, more emptied than satisfied, more hungry than filled, more sad than happy? Then this morning, I would like to invite you to look up And look forward to the place that has been prepared for us. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, what? I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This morning, I want to tell you there's a place that is prepared for you. 
And I want to invite you into that place. When we acknowledge the fact that our sinfulness has separated us from God. And when we recognize and affirm that Jesus Christ went to a cross and He died a brutal death, the Son of God, whose body was broken and whose blood was shed, who poured Himself out completely to break the power of sin and death once and for all, was resurrected on the third day, which is what we celebrate this resurrection day. And then ascended into heaven and is coming back when we receive this Savior and Lord. A room is prepared for you and for me. Revelation 21, the last part of that Scripture. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lord are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine in it for the glory of God gives its light and the lamp, lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will, will ever enter it nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful but only those names whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Is your name written in that book? The gate is open to welcome you in. This place is a place of rest. Hebrews says there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience in this place. And Hebrews here is not just speaking of this Sabbath rest here on earth, but he's talking about, in a sense, he's putting in the context there of the promised land and the promise of our hope in heaven and the place prepared for us. It will be a place of rest. It's not a place of inactivity, but it is is a place where we will lay down the burdens that we carry and we will rest. It's a place of fellowship. Again, in the book of Hebrews, it says, you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You have come to thousands upon thousands and ten thousands of angels and the church of the firstborn. And we will be together in this city with Him forever. Ha <laughs> ha. 
It's a place of worship. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are His judgments. And He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. And He has avenged on her the blood of His servants. And again they shouted... And again they shouted... Hallelujah! And the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen. Come on, they cried what? Amen. Amen what? Hallelujah. What did they cry? Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on. Amen. Hallelujah. And then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, both small and great. And I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given for her to wear that fine linen standing for the righteous acts of the saints. There we will be, the bride with the bridegroom, and worshiping Him forever. Oh, what we do here on a Sunday is just a tiny little taste. Thank you so much, dance and drama team, for bringing us into the presence of the Lord. Thank you, worship team, faithfully leading us in that place. All of this is just, just a small taste. Finally, in this place prepared for us, not only is it a place of rest and a place of fellowship and a place of worship, it is also a place of service. It is not a place where we'll go and twiddle our thumbs for eternity. Now, as it tells us in Luke 22, Jesus, just before His death, speaking with his, his disciples, says this, He said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table, or the one who serves, is not the one who is at the table. But I am among you as one who serves. And you are those who have stood by me in my trials. And I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me so that you may eat and drink at My table in My kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. As we serve Him here on earth, so we will serve Him in our eternal home. Remember a couple of weeks ago as we were talking about treasure principle number one and starting this 40 days to a more generous life. We looked at the parable of the talents in Matthew 25 and you remember the commendation that was given to the one who had been given two and five and came back with two, two more and five more. And the master replies, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. This is not only a word for now, it is a word for then as well. For the, this parable of the talents set in the context of Jesus' teachings about 
the last things and, and the end times tells us that as we have served the Lord faithfully here on earth, so we shall receive the reward of serving Him for eternity. And if anything should give us an incentive to serve Him well now, it is the knowledge that we will serve Him likewise for eternity. And the reward of work well done is authority and intimacy with Him. Worship team, please come on up. I want to close with this scripture this morning as we go into now Revelation 22. We've already sung this this morning. But once again, listen and see the picture. And then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And no longer will there be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. And His servants will serve Him. And they will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. And there will be no more night. And they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. And the angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits and of the prophets, sent His angels to show His servants the things that must soon take place. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is He who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come! The Spirit and the Bride say, Come! The Spirit and the Bride say, Come! And whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift the water of life. Come this morning. The Lord Himself with arms open wide says, Come. And in response, we His bride open our arms and we say, Yes, Lord, come. We're going to sing a song called Revelation Song. And then I will give a benediction after that. But let me ask you one last time this morning. Are you ready for home? Are you ready for home? Have you received Him as your Savior and Lord? Have you welcomed Him into your life? If not, today. Today is the day of salvation. Today, receive the King. And this morning, 
If your heart is heavy, if it's been more down than up, if it's been hard, let me tell you this one last story. You've heard it before, many of you, but listen again. An old missionary named Samuel Morrison, after 25 years in Africa, was returning to the United States to die. As it so happened, he traveled home on the same ocean liner that brought President Teddy Roosevelt back from a hunting expedition. When the great ship pulled into the New York Harbor, the dock where it was to tie up was jammed with what looked like the entire population of New York City. Bands were playing and banners were waving and choirs of children were singing and multicolored balloons were flowing in the air and flashbulbs were popping and newsreel cameras were poised to record the return of the great president. Mr. Roosevelt stepped down from the gangplank to thunderous cheers and applause, showered with confetti and ticker tape. If the crowd had not been restrained by ropes and police, he would have been mobbed. At the same time, Samuel Morrison quietly walked off the boat. No one was there to greet him. He slipped alone through the crowd because of the crush of people there to welcome the president. He couldn't even find a cab. And inside his heart, he began to complain. Lord, the president has been in Africa for three weeks killing animals, and the whole world turns out to welcome him home. I've given 25 years of my life in Africa serving you, and no one has greeted me or even knows that I'm here. And in the quietness of his heart, a gentle, loving voice whispered, But my dear child, you're not home yet. You're not home yet, people. We're not home yet. 